0: legal conversations on the legal conversations we are now joined by adam pike the founder of pike law a corporate and commercial law firm thank you very much adam for joining us good evening
1: excellent patricia thanks so much for having me and good night uh, good evening to your wonderful listeners
0: (laughs) So today we're talking about the Companies Act 71 of 2008. Um, firstly, what, what does it aim to achieve? What has it uh, been set out to do?
1: So, Patricia, the, the Companies Act, the one that we have at the moment, was promulgated in 2008 and it came into effect in 2010. But this is just a, an ancestor of the first corporate uh, act that were promulgated in England, in the olden days, in the 1800s. There was an act called the Joint Stock Act. And what that act did, and what these acts do and continue to do, is to allow a group of investors, shareholders or members, to come together, to pool their assets, to apply those assets towards a business or a venture, a business venture, and to regulate the relationships between the investors and the shareholders and then regulate the relationships between the shareholders on the one hand and those people who are put in charge of the company on the other hand and and these acts do something quite miraculous they create a fiction they create a whole person out of nothing a couple of strokes of the pen You file your your incorporation documents at company's house in England or at SIPC in South Africa, and magically a company appears. A company is known as a juristic person. And what that means is the company is treated as if it is a person. So on the one hand, you have a new person that comes into being every time a company is incorporated, and that's what the public deals with, and that's what the public sees. And then on the other hand, behind the company, you've got a group of stakeholders, on the one hand, you have the directors and management, and then on the other hand, you have the shareholders and the investors. And so what the Companies Act does is it provides a mechanism to create these fictitious people. And then what it does is it, it regulates the relationship between the directors and the shareholders. And then in certain circumstances, it regulates certain relationships between the company itself and members of the public and then finally, it regulates the relationship between corporate regulators, such as the Commission, the Takeover Regulation Panel, um, the Companies Tribunal, and companies themselves. So, so that's, what com- that's what the Companies Act was designed to do back in the olden days, when it was still the Joint Stock Act. Um, and then every, success- every succeeding version of the Companies Act that's come from England and now to South Africa, um, it really does the same thing. Um, that's that's the short answer.
0: Yeah, it's a short answer, but at least we've got a, a better understanding of what uh, the Companies Act of 71 of uh, 2008 aims to do. Now, can you take us through the various types of companies that one can uh, register for under this particular act and how they work? What, what uh, d- differentiates one from the other?
1: Absolutely. Um, There are five five different kinds of companies. We start with a non-profit company. That's the old Section 21 company. It's called a non-profit company. It doesn't have shareholders. It has members. Um, It doesn't distribute profits. That's why it's called a non-profit company. Um, And it doesn't distribute uh, any of its assets or profits to its shareholders. But any money that it does make, What it's required to do is to apply those funds, whether they receive them via donations or through um, certain kinds of ventures that they're permitted to undertake. They have to apply those funds to furthering their non-profit object. So that's your non-profit company. From there, you move to the profit companies, and you've got a couple of types of profit companies. You've got what's called an INC, or an incorporated company. So those are usually law firms, architect firms, and audit firms. And what that kind of a company does, it's a private company, but that company isn't limited by shares. What that means is is that the directors and shareholders are directly exposed to liability that they create in the company's undertakings. So that's that's an incorporated company, law firms, audit firms, and architecture firms. Then you've got the other kinds of private companies there's the PTY limited that's a proprietary limited that's a private company and a private company is one which doesn't offer its shares to the public so members of the public can create a private company but they can't offer shares to anyone else that's a private company. that's a that's a private company then you've got a public company and these are usually or typically companies listed on a stock exchange So someone has a good idea, someone like Mark Zuckerberg, and he decides, I need a whole bunch of investors. So what he does is he goes to a marketplace, also known as a stock exchange, and he says, hey, come on over, come and buy some stock in my company. And anyone can come by and subscribe for shares in Meta or in any particular company. And that's called offering your shares to the public. And then those shares are traded publicly, as opposed to a private company, which is who shares can't be traded publicly? Usually they're restricted. If you want to sell your shares, you can only sell it to uh, existing shareholders. And then in certain circumstances, you can sell them to outsiders. So that's a public company. And then lastly, you have what are called SOEs, or state-owned enterprises. And those are public or private companies, the shares of which, or the majority of the shares of which are owned by government. So those are your parastatals. So usually you'll see ESCOM, SOC Limited. That's a state-owned company, Limited. It means that the government has the bulk of the shares and controls that company. So that's a, that's a, those are the five general kinds of companies you have. Um, but there are other incorporation statutes. So for instance, you have a body corporate. Now that's your sectional title schemes. So that's a type of a corporate entity, it's a body corporate. Um, it's an entity which operates independently of the members of the body corporate. Then you have close corporations, the Close Corporations Act, and that allows no more than 10 members to form what is uh, what's, what could be referred to as a, what we refer to technically as a quasi partnership, or as if it is a partnership, but instead it has an identity separate from itself. Then you've got other types of Entities um, such as cooperatives and, and the like. But those are the kinds of um, fictitious or juristic entities uh, that one could incorporate.
0: Now, for companies who who are going out to register or individuals or um, people who just go out and register a company, what are the things that they should know? Because one I think we don't pay too much attention to is the deregistration of, of companies, that there is such a thing. Um, and as time goes, we, we get shocked that your company has been
1: deregistered. So note to yourself, if you've got a company, um, you should know how companies work. Um, if you have a child, for instance, you really want to know that the child needs to be fed, at least twice a day, hopefully. Uh, the child needs to be cleaned, has to be given care and shelter, and needs to be looked after. In the same way, a company as a fictitious person, it needs to be administered competently. Um, so when you incorporate a company, just extending this metaphor, a new little person is born. And it's a director's duty to ensure that this new little person is looked after properly. So directors have their fiduciary duties. Those are the duties that they... Uh, labor under as people who are entrusted with the property of the company. Then there are the duties of care, skill, and diligence, which simply means be careful, use your skill, and work hard, care, skill, and diligence. And then there are various other statutory obligations and duties. And one of those is to ensure that the company files what's referred to as its annual return every year. So one of the ways that companies are deregistered is that a company fails to file its annual return. So what SIPC wants to do, the commissioner, it's got an incredibly onerous regulatory burden. It's going to assume that if you don't look after your company, you don't want it. So sometimes you'll find out, you'll get an SMS or an email that goes to your spam folder and it just tells you simply that SIPC has deregistered your company. Now that's not fatal, but you can re-register your company as long as you bring your outstanding filings up to date, pay a small fine, and you can carry on. Um, But sometimes this poses problems because in the interim you haven't re-registered your company and you're transacting with the company as you would in the ordinary course, but unfortunately you're transacting with a company that doesn't really uh, exist on paper. It's all there in the background. It's uh, it's in ICU. It just needs a a little bit of a shock, a little bit of TLC, (laughs) and then your company can come back to life and carry on trading.
0: So you need to make sure you nurse this uh, registered entity. Don't just act like it will always
1: be there. It's not always going to be there. That's a very good point. The one thing about a company um, is that companies have what's referred to as perpetual succession. That means companies can't really die unless you make them die. The two ways to make a company die. One is um, to wind them up, you know, to, to 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 wind up the company and distribute the assets and then put the company to sleep. And then the other one is uh, a little less than death, and that is the deregistration uh, process. But if you look, if you go through to SIPC and you start seeing that there are companies that have been uh, still in existence, that have been uh, incorporated more than 100 years ago. So these companies can last forever, provided that they're looked after carefully. And these are just administrative steps that um a prudent director ought to attend to uh, at least annually um that's uh, in relation to deregistration
0: and that leads to deregistration i hope you heard that teamers. um can we quickly uh, take us through the companies and intellectual property commission um because there's the, the sometimes you know uh, where we blur the lines and we take other people's logos and ideas and we make as if they are our own.
1: So, when it comes to companies, there's a process where you can reserve a company name. So, it's going to be very difficult for me to reserve the name Adam Pike's Coca Cola is the best. That's not going to work. Coca Cola is a proprietary trademark, it's already a company that's incorporated in South Africa. Um, one of its subsidiaries. So what the Commission does is it ensures that uh, names cannot be registered which are likely to deceive members of the public. So that's that's how company names are chosen and there's a process that you can go through. Um, If there's a dispute, there's a dispute resolution mechanism which is very efficient, um, expeditious, it's quick, it's painless, uh, particularly if you're on the winning side. and it resolves those kinds of names, name disputes uh, fairly quickly. Um, CIPC, as you alluded to, also um, is the regulator for the registration of intellectual property. Now, there are different kinds of intellectual property that you can register through CIPC. They're patents. Um, those are technical documents which record uh, proprietary interests in technical innovations, so that's when someone makes an invention. So you can't patent an idea. Um, you can patent a process that is novel. Uh, that process doesn't necessarily need to be profitable, but it does need to be novel and it needs to advance the state of the art. That's a technical term. It has to advance the scientific process that it's seeking to protect. That's patents. And you've got trademarks. Trademarks are trading names. They're almost like trading names. So when you see a, uh, I don't know, I'm just going to choose a name, uh, Dell. I'm just looking at my computer now. Sometimes you'll see Dell, and then in a small circle, it'll see, it'll say TM or R. And usually, what that's referred to is that the name is registered or that it's trademarked. What that does is it establishes your ownership of that particular mark. Now it could just be the word Dell or it could be the logo. So if I look at the Dell logo, I see that the E is slightly is uh, presented at a on a diagonal. Um, And that's a novel way of printing out the word Dell. So they would have the trademark in the word Dell and they'd also have the trademark in the getup. In other words the way that Dell is printed on my computer monitor. Then you've got designs. Um, Certain designs can be registered. I must say, I'm not a fundy when it comes to designs, but certain designs can be registered and you can register protection over designs. So those are your trademarks, your patents, and your designs. Those can be registered. Copyright is a a different one. Copyright, you don't have to register anything. Um, When you produce what is referred to as a literary work or an artistic work, any novelty is one in which, by virtue of publication, you have ownership or an ownership interest in the novelty that you've created. That's copyright. Now, even though you might forget to register your trademark, register your patent, or register your design, there are still processes in terms of ordinary law which you can use to protect yourself. A few more hurdles. You've got to prove that you were first. You've got to prove that. Uh, it was novel, a whole bunch of stuff that you have to prove before you can start protecting your mark. The beauty of registration is that the process of registration includes all of those pre-litigation processes. So when you register your patent, you draw up your patent specification, you have to file it with SIPC, they print the specification in draft form in the patent journal, and any industrious or inquisitive person can page through the journal to see whether or not that Patent is in fact novel. After a long, drawn out process, what you do is you have your patent. Then, if anyone breaches your patent, you don't have to then go through the process of proving novelty and proving ownership and proving use. Uh, so, that's just a rough cook's tour of the other functions of SIPSI other than registering companies.
0: Well, uh, I think let's close it at that, Adam. Um, could you kind of give us contact details for um, Pike Law?
1: Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, Just Google Pike, P-I-K-E, Law. We're based in Constantia in Cape Town. Um, We're ready to take your call. We're happy to take emails. Um, And thank you very much for an opportunity, uh, for chatting to me, asking very insightful questions and allowing me to enlighten your listeners.
0: Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Patricia. Have a lovely evening.
0: You too.